The Secret of Mary by St. Louis Mary de Montfort Neil Upstott, Thomas W. Smitty Imprimatur, Thomas Edmundus Malloy Part 1. Doctrine of the Holy Slavery The Secret of Mary A Secret of Sanctity Introduction Predestinate soul, here is a secret the Most High has taught me, which I have not been able to find in any book, old or new. A footnote. The holy slavery of Jesus in Mary was known, no doubt, before St. Louis de Montfort's time. Yet he rightly calls this devotion a secret. First, because there lies in it, as in all things supernatural, a hidden treasure which grace alone can help us to find and utilize. Secondly, because there are but few souls that enter into the spirit of this devotion and go beyond its exterior practices. Again, as no one had as yet thoroughly explained this devotion, nor shaped it into a definite method of spiritual life, St. Louis de Montfort would say of a truth, I have not been able to find this secret in any book old or new. I confide it to you by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost on condition one, that you communicate it only to those who deserve it by their prayers, their alms deeds, and mortifications, by the persecutions they suffer, by their detachment from the world, and their zeal for the salvation of souls. A footnote. These words show how highly St. Louis de Montfort esteemed this devotion, as there are professional secrets committed only to men who know how to appreciate and exploit them, so this secret of sanctity must be entrusted only to such souls as truly concern themselves with their perfection, and following the recommendations of our Lord not to profane holy things, Montfort preserves this secret with a holy jealousy that denotes respect for divine things. That you make use of it for your personal sanctification and salvation, for this secret works its effect on a soul only in proportion to the use made of it. Beware, then, of remaining inactive while possessing my secret. It would turn into a poison and be your condemnation. That you thank God all the days of your life by the grace he has given you to know a secret you do not deserve to know. As you go on making use of this secret in the ordinary actions of your life, you will comprehend its value and its excellence, which at first you will not fully understand because of your many and grievous sins and because of your secret attachment to self. A footnote. These words contain three important counsels. One, this devotion must be practiced in the ordinary course of life as well as in the most important actions. Two, only when we steadily persevere in it and not merely try it for a few weeks shall we be able to judge of its excellence and know its fruit. Three, it is necessary to remove all hindrances to this devotion, namely sin and secret affection for that which is sinful. Before you go any further, lest you should be carried away by a too eager and natural desire to know this truth, 
kneel down and say devoutly the Ave Maristella and the Veni Creator in order to understand and appreciate this divine mystery. Let us not make light of this recommendation. It is an important one. If many persons do not become acquainted with the secret of this devotion, it is because they forget that in order to be allowed to enter this garden enclosed, as Mary is called, they must entreat the Holy Ghost, who searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, to grant them that favor. As I have not much time for writing, nor you for reading, I shall say everything as briefly as possible. 1. Our sanctification, necessity of sanctifying ourselves, the will of God. Faithful soul, living image of God, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, it is the will of God that you be holy like Him in this life and glorious like Him in the next. Your sure vocation is the acquisition of the holiness of God, and unless all your thoughts and words and actions, all the sufferings and events of your life, tend to that end, you are resisting God by not doing that for which He has created you and is now preserving you. A footnote. Those who begin this devotion are here reminded of the recommendation of the masters of the spiritual life, namely that the interior life must be their chief concern. They must be determined to obtain good results bought with the price of sacrifice. Compare these words with the St. Louis de Montfort's advice on cultivating the tree of life. Oh, what an admirable work! To change that which is dust into light, to make pure that which is unclean, holy that which is sinful, to make the creature like its creator, man like God. Admirable work, I repeat, but difficult in itself and impossible to mere nature. Only God, by His grace, by His abundant and extraordinary grace, can accomplish it. Even the creation of the whole world is not so great a masterpiece as this. Means of Sanctification Predestinate soul, how are you to do it? What means will you choose to reach the height of which God calls you? The means of salvation and sanctification are known to all. They are laid down in the gospel, explained by the masters of the spiritual life, practiced by the saints, and necessary to all who wish to be saved and to attain perfection. They are humility of heart, continual prayer, mortification in all things, abandonment to divine providence, and conformity to the will of God. To practice all these means of salvation and sanctification, the grace of God is absolutely necessary. No one can doubt that God gives His grace to all in a more or less abundant measure. I say in a more or less abundant measure, for God, although infinitely good, does not give equal grace to all, yet to each soul He gives sufficient grace. The faithful soul will, with great grace, perform a great action, and with less grace a lesser action. It is the value and excellence of the grace bestowed by God and corresponded to by the soul that gives to our actions their value and their excellence. These principles are certain.
an easy means. It all comes to this then, that you should find an easy means for obtaining from God the grace necessary to make you holy. And this means I wish to make known to you. Now I say that to find this grace of God, we must find Mary. A footnote, this is characteristic of St. Louis de Montfort's devotion and makes it a special method of spiritual life. Our Sanctification Through Mary A footnote, the reasons given here to prove that Mary is the most perfect means for finding Jesus are a condensed treatise on Mariology. If the faithful meditate on these points, they will come to understand the function assigned to Our Lady by virtue of her divine maternity in the mystery of the Incarnation and now in the whole Church. A Necessary Means Mary alone has found grace with God, both for herself and for every man in particular. The patriarchs and prophets and all the saints of the old law were not able to find that grace. Mary gave being and life to the author of all grace, and that is why she is called the Mother of Grace. God the Father, from whom every perfect gift and all grace come, as from its essential source, has given all graces to Mary by giving her his Son, so that, as St. Bernard says, with his Son and in him God has given his will to Mary. God has entrusted Mary with the keeping, the administration, and distribution of all his graces, so that all his graces and gifts pass through her hands, and according to the power she has received over them. As St. Bernadine teaches, Mary gives to whom she wills, the way she wills, when she wills, and as much as she wills, the graces of the Eternal Father, the virtues of Jesus Christ, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost. As in the order of nature, a child must have a father and a mother, so likewise in the order of grace, a true child of the Church must have God for his father and Mary for his mother. And if anyone should glory in having God for his father, and yet has not the love of a true child for Mary, he is a deceiver, and the only father he has is the devil. Since Mary has formed Jesus Christ at the head of the elect, it is also her office to form the members of that head, that is to say, all true Christians. For a mother does not form the head without the members, nor the members without the head. Whoever, therefore, wishes to be a member of Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth, must be formed in Mary by means of the grace of Jesus Christ, which she possesses in its fullness in order to communicate it fully to her children, the true members of Jesus Christ. A footnote. Conclude from this that we call Mary our mother, not because of mere feelings of piety and gratitude awakened in us by the conviction that she loves and protects us, but because she is our mother in the spiritual order as truly as she is the mother of Christ in the natural order. The spiritual motherhood of Mary, a consequence of her divine motherhood, is one of the truths on which the true devotion of St. Louis de Montfort is founded. As the Holy Ghost has espoused Mary and has produced in her, by her, 
and from her his masterpiece, Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate, and has never repudiated his spouse, so he now continues to produce the elect in her and by her in a mysterious but real manner. Mary has received a special office and power over our souls in order to nourish them and give them growth in God. St. Augustine even says that during their present life all the elect are hidden in Mary's womb and that they are not truly born until the Blessed Mother brings them forth to life eternal. Consequently, just as the child draws all its nourishment from the mother who gives it in proportion to the child's weakness, in like manner do the elect draw all their spiritual nourishment and strength from Mary. It is to Mary that God the Father said, My daughter, let thy dwelling be in Jacob, that is, in my elect, prefigured by Jacob. It is to Mary that God the Son said, My dear mother, in Israel is thine inheritance, that is, in the elect. And it is to Mary that the Holy Ghost said, Take root, my faithful spouse, in my elect. Whoever then is elect and predestinate has the Blessed Virgin with him, dwelling in his soul. And he will allow her to plant there the roots of profound humility, of ardent charity, and of every virtue. A footnote. This abode of Mary in our soul may be explained in the following manner. Her presence in us cannot be compared to that of God living in our soul by sanctifying grace and thus making us partakers of his divine life. Neither must we believe that Mary is bodily present in our soul. Some have wrongfully charged St. Louis de Montfort with inferring the omnipresence of Mary. But let us bear in mind Mary's privilege of being truly the mother of God, which privilege is hers personally and exclusively. As a consequence of that privilege, Mary beholds our souls in a universal manner and more excellently than the saints and angels do in their heavenly glory. And she is with us, really, individually, intimately. Thus, we are morally present to her and she is morally present to us, because by her prayers, her attentions, and her influence, she cooperates with the Holy Ghost in forming Jesus in our souls. By way of comparison, we might say that Mary is present in our souls as the sun is present in a room by its light and warmth, even though it is not there itself. St. Augustine calls Mary the living mold of God, and that indeed she is, for it was her alone that God was made a true man without losing any feature in the Godhead, and it is also in her alone that man can be truly formed into God, insofar as that is possible for human nature by the grace of Jesus Christ. A sculptor has two ways of making a lifelike statue or figure. He may carve the figure out of some hard, shapeless material, using for this purpose his professional skill and knowledge, his strength, and the necessary instruments, or he may cast it in a mold. The first manner is long and difficult and subject to many mishaps. A single blow of the hammer or chisel, awkwardly given, may spoil the whole work. 
The second is short, easy and smooth. It requires but little work and slight expense, provided the mold be perfect and made to reproduce the figure exactly, provided, moreover, the material used offer no resistance to the hand of the artist. A footnote. Therefore, great docility is required on our part if we would be formed quickly, easily, and gently. This comparison of the mold explains very well the interior practice of this devotion. The devotion consists essentially in one single act, which under various forms and conditions we apply to our whole life, both interior and exterior. Such is the simplicity of St. Louis de Montfort's method. Mary is the great mold of God, made by the Holy Ghost to form a true God-man by the hypostatic union, and to form also a man-God by grace. In that mold, none of the features of the Godhead is wanting. Whoever is cast in it and allows himself to be molded receives all the features of Jesus Christ, true God. The work is done gently, in a manner proportioned to human weakness, without much labor or pain, in a sure manner, free from all illusion, for where Mary is, the devil has never had and never will have access. Finally, it is done in a holy and spotless manner, without a shadow of the least stain of sin. Oh, what a difference between a soul which has been formed in Christ by the ordinary ways of those who, like the sculptor, trust in their own skill and ingenuity, and a soul thoroughly tractable entirely detached and well molten, which, without trusting to its own skill, casts itself into Mary, there to be molded by the Holy Ghost. How many stains and defects and illusions, how much darkness, and how much human nature is there in the former, and oh, how pure, how heavenly, and how Christ-like is the latter. There does not exist and never will exist a creature in whom God, either within or without himself, is so highly exalted as he is in the most blessed Virgin Mary, not excepting the saints or the cherubim or the highest seraphim in paradise. Mary is the paradise of God and his unspeakable world, into which the Son of God has come to work his wonders, to watch over it and take his delight in it. God has made a world for wayfaring man which is that world in which we dwell. He has made one for man in his glorified state, which is heaven, and he has made one for himself, which he has called Mary. It is a world unknown to most mortals here below, and incomprehensible even to the angels and blessed in heaven above, who, seeing God so highly exalted above them all, and so deeply hidden in Mary, his world, are filled with admiration and unceasingly exclaim, Holy, holy, holy. Happy, a thousand times happy, is the soul here below, to which the Holy Ghost reveals the secret of Mary, in order that it may come to know her, to which he opens the garden enclosed, that it may enter into it, to which he gives access to that fountain sealed, that it may draw from it, and drink deep draughts of the living waters of grace. That soul will find God alone in his most amiable creature, 
it will find God infinitely holy and exalted, yet at the same time adapting himself to its own weakness. Since God is present everywhere, he may be found everywhere, even in hell, but nowhere do we creatures find him nearer to us and more adapted to our weakness than in Mary, since it was for that end that he came and dwelt in her. Everywhere else he is the bread of the strong, the bread of the angels, but in Mary he is the bread of children. A footnote. This beautiful expression interprets the invitation of divine wisdom. Come, eat the bread and drink the wine which I have mingled for you. It also accounts for the unexpected graces which this devotion draws upon those who persevere in its practice. Note that this method of spiritual formation is practically the same as the education given by a mother to her child. In ourselves we experience the infirmities and the wants of infancy. In Mary we find the strong and never-wearied love of a mother. All that we have to do is to abandon ourselves to Mary and to remain dependent on her in all things, just like her children. Let us not imagine then, as some do who are misled by erroneous teachings, that Mary, being a creature, is a hindrance to our union with the Creator. It is no longer Mary who lives, it is Jesus Christ. It is God alone who lives in her. Her transformation into God surpasses that of St. Paul and of the other saints more than the heavens surpass the earth by their height. Mary is made for God alone, and far from ever detaining a soul in herself, she casts the soul upon God and unites it with Him so much the more perfectly as the soul is more perfectly united to her. Mary is the admirable echo of God. When we say Mary, she answers, God. When with St. Elizabeth we call her blessed, she glorifies God. If the falsely enlightened, whom the devil has so miserably illusioned, even in prayer, had known how to find Mary, and through her to find Jesus, and through Jesus God the Father, they would not have had such terrible falls. The saints tell us that when we have once found Mary, and through Mary, Jesus, and through Jesus, God the Father, we have found all good. He who says all, accepts nothing, all grace and all friendship with God, all safety from God's enemies, all truth to crush falsehoods, all facility to overcome difficulties in the way of salvation, all comfort and all joy amidst the bitterness of life. This does not mean that he who has found Mary by a true devotion will be exempt from crosses and sufferings. A footnote, St. Louis de Montfort has explained that his true devotion is an easy means of sanctification, yet he wishes to guard us against the common illusion that his method exempts us from spiritual labor and sufferings. He is himself a striking example of the manly education which Mary, the valiant woman, gives to her children, as well as of the love of Jesus crucified, which she enkindles in their hearts. Far from it, he is more besieged by them than others are, because Mary, the mother of the living, 
gives to all her children portions of the tree of life, which is the cross of Jesus. But along with their crosses, she also imparts the grace to carry them patiently and even cheerfully. And thus it is that the crosses which she lays upon those who belong to her are rather steeped in sweetness than filled with bitterness. If for a while her children feel the bitterness of the cup which one must needs drink in order to be the friend of God, the consolation and joy which this good mother sends after the trial encourage them exceedingly to carry still heavier and more painful crosses. The difficulty, then, is to find really and truly the most blessed Virgin Mary in order to find all abundant grace. God, being the absolute master, can confer directly by himself that which he usually grants only through Mary. It would even be rash to deny that sometimes he does so. Nevertheless, St. Thomas teaches that in the order of grace, established by divine wisdom, God ordinarily communicates himself to men only through Mary. Therefore, if we would go up to him and be united with him, we must use the same means he used to come down to us and be made man and to impart his graces to us. That means is a true devotion to our Blessed Lady. Our sanctification by the perfect devotion to the Blessed Virgin or the holy slavery of love, a perfect means. There are several true devotions to Our Lady. Here I do not speak of those that are false. The first consists in fulfilling our Christian duties, avoiding mortal sin, acting more out of love than fear, praying to Our Lady now and then, honoring her as the Mother of God, yet without having any special devotion to her. The second consists in entertaining for Our Lady more perfect feelings of esteem and love, of confidence and veneration. It leads us to join the confraternities of the Holy Rosary and the Scapular, to recite the five decades or the fifteen decades of the Rosary, to honor Mary's images and altars, to publish her praises, and to enroll ourselves in her sodalities. A footnote. All such devotions, remarks St. Louis de Montfort elsewhere, include but a limited number of devout practices and take up but a part of our daily life, while the one he proposes embraces our whole life and divests us of all things. This devotion is good, holy, and praiseworthy if we keep ourselves free from sin but it is not so perfect as the next, nor so efficient in severing our soul from creatures or in detaching us from ourselves in order to be united with Jesus Christ. The third devotion to Our Lady, known and practiced by very few persons, is the one I am now about to disclose to you, predestinate soul. Nature and scope of the holy slavery of love. It consists in giving oneself entirely and as a slave to Mary and to Jesus through Mary, and after that to do all that we do through Mary, with Mary, in Mary, and for Mary. I shall now explain these words. First a footnote. We must therefore note two things in this devotion. First, 
an act of total consecration to Jesus through Mary, and secondly, a state of being consecrated. That state consists in the permanent disposition of living and acting habitually in dependence on Mary, and that is called the spirit or the interior part of this consecration. This practice, although it embraces our entire life, appears so small and trifling at first glance that St. Louis de Montfort has justly compared it to the mustard seed. But one comes to realize its vital energy and its wonderful effects when it has grown strong by persistent exercise. We should choose a special feast day on which we give, consecrate, and sacrifice to Mary voluntarily, lovingly, and without constraint, entirely and without reserve, our body and soul, our exterior property, such as house, family, and income, and also our interior and spiritual possessions, namely our merits, graces, virtues, and satisfactions. A footnote. These words show us the far-reaching effect of this consecration, which St. Louis de Montfort calls a perfect renewal of the baptismal vows. And indeed, in making it, we give ourselves anew to Jesus Christ our Lord through the hands of Mary. It should be observed here that by this devotion the soul sacrifices to Jesus through Mary all that it holds most dear, things of which even no religious order would require the sacrifice, namely, the right to dispose of ourselves, of the value of our prayers and alms, of our mortifications and satisfactions. The soul leaves everything to be freely disposed of by Our Lady, so that she may apply it all according to her own will for the greater glory of God, which she alone knows perfectly. We leave to her disposal of all the satisfactory and impetrary value of our good works, so that after we have made the sacrifice of them, although not by vow, we are no longer the masters of any good works we may do. But Our Lady may apply them, sometimes for the relief or the deliverance of a soul in purgatory, sometimes for the conversion of a poor sinner, and so forth. A footnote. It may not be amiss to give here a short explanation of the heroic act of charity and to point out in what it differs from this act of consecration. According to the definition of the Sacred Congregation of Indulgences, December 1885, the heroic act of charity consists in this, that a member of the church militant offers to God for the souls in purgatory all the satisfactory works which he will perform during his lifetime, and also all the suffrages which may accrue to him after death. By the act of consecration to Jesus through Mary, as taught by St. Louis de Montfort, we give to Our Lady not only the satisfactory works of our life, but all else, nothing excepted. The use to be made of our good works and satisfactions is not determined by us, as it is in the heroic act, but it is left to Mary's intention and will. In this act of consecration, St. Louis de Montfort does not seem to comprise directly the suffrages which may accrue to us in purgatory, but indirectly they are implied. I leave to thee all that belongs to me in time 
and in eternity. Neither the heroic act nor our act of consecration implies a vow, yet both may be made with a vow if discretion and sound judgment are not lacking in making such a solemn promise to God. Continuing by this devotion, we also place our merits in the hands of Our Lady, but only that she may preserve, augment, and embellish them, because we cannot communicate to one another either the merits of sanctifying grace or those of glory. However, we give her all our prayers and good works inasmuch as they have an impetratory and satisfactory value that she may distribute and apply them to whom she pleases. If after having thus consecrated ourselves to Our Lady, we desire to relieve a soul in purgatory, to save a sinner, or to assist a friend by our prayers, our almdeeds, our mortifications and sacrifices, we must humbly ask it of Our Lady, abiding, however, by her decision, which remains unknown to us. And we must be fully persuaded that the value of our actions, being dispensed by the same hand which God himself makes use of to distribute to us his graces and gifts, cannot fail to be applied for his greater glory. I have said that this devotion consists in giving ourselves to Mary as slaves. A footnote. These words show us the true nature of this consecration. By making it, we place ourselves in a state in which we are owned by Jesus and Mary and are totally dependent on their will. Now that is the nature and condition of a slave. But to remove the idea of there being any degradation or tyrannical violence in this noble servitude, St. Louis de Montfort explains that it is a voluntary slavery, full of honor and of love, giving us the liberty of the true children of God. There is then no reason for being scared or repelled by the word slave and slavery. Consider the state, not the word, which expresses the state of total, of lasting, and disinterested subjection and dependence on the master through the mother. One may ask, why not use other words? It is because there are none to express adequately this special state of consecration. Continuing, but notice that there are three kinds of slavery. The first is a slavery of nature. In this sense, all men, good and bad alike, are slaves of God. The second is the slavery of constraint. The devils and the damned are slaves of God in this second sense. The third is the slavery of love and of free will, and this is the one by which we must consecrate ourselves to God through Mary. It is the most perfect way for us human creatures to give ourselves to God, our Creator. Notice again that there is a great difference between a servant and a slave. A servant claims wages for his services. A slave has a right to none. A servant is free to leave his master when he likes. He serves him only for a time. A slave belongs to his master for life and has no right to leave him. A servant does not give to his master the right of life and death over him. A slave gives himself up entirely so that his master can put him to death without being molested by the law. It is easily seen then that he who is a slave by constraint is rigorously dependent on his master. 
Strictly speaking, a man must be dependent in that sense only on his creator. Hence, we do not find that kind of slavery among Christians, but only among pagans. But happy, and a thousand times happy, is a generous soul that consecrates itself entirely to Jesus through Mary as a slave of love after it has shaken off by baptism the tyrannical slavery of the devil. Excellence of the Holy Slavery of Love I should require much supernatural light to describe perfectly the excellence of this practice. I shall content myself with these few remarks. To give ourselves to Jesus through Mary is to imitate God the Father, who has given us his Son only through Mary, and who communicates to us his grace only through Mary. It is to imitate God the Son, who has come to us only through Mary, and who, by giving us an example, that as he has done, so we do also, he has urged us to go to him by the same means by which he has come to us, that is, through Mary. It is to imitate the Holy Ghost, who bestows his graces and gifts upon us only through Mary. Is it not fitting, asks St. Bernard, that grace should return to its author by the same channel which conveyed it to us? To go to Jesus through Mary is truly to honor Jesus Christ, for it denotes that we do not esteem ourselves worthy of approaching his infinite holiness directly and by ourselves because of our sins, that we need Mary, his holy mother, to be our advocate and mediatrix with him, our mediator. It is to approach Jesus as our mediator and brother and at the same time to humble ourselves before him as before our God and our judge. In a word, it is to practice humility which is always exceedingly pleasing to the heart of God. To consecrate ourselves thus to Jesus through Mary is to place in Mary's hands our good actions, which, although they may appear to us to be good, are often very imperfect and unworthy of the sight and acceptance of God, before whom even the stars are not pure. Ah, let us pray then to our dear mother and queen that having received our poor present, she may purify it, sanctify it, embellish it, and thus render it worthy of God. All that our soul possesses is of less value before God, the heavenly householder, when it comes to winning his friendship and favor than a worm-eaten apple presented to the king by a poor farmer in payment for the rent of his farm. But what would such a farmer do if he were wise? And if he were well liked by the queen, would he not give his apple to the queen? And would she not, out of kindness to the poor man, as also out of respect for the king, remove from the apple all that is worm-eaten or spoiled, and then place it in a gold dish and surround it with flowers? Would the king refuse to accept the apple then? Or would he not rather receive it with joy from the hands of the queen who favors that poor man? If you wish to present something to God, no matter how small it may be, says St. Bernard, place it in Mary's hands if you do not wish to be refused. Great God, how insignificant everything that we do really is, but let us place all in Mary's hands by this devotion. 
when we have given ourselves to Mary to the very utmost of our power, by despoiling ourselves completely in her honor, she will far outdo us in generosity and will repay us a hundredfold. She will communicate herself to us with her merits and virtues. She will place our presence on the golden plate of her charity. She will clothe us as Rebecca clothed Jacob with the beautiful garments of her elder and only son, Jesus Christ, that is, with his merits, which she has at her disposal. And thus, after we have despoiled ourselves of everything in her honor, we shall be clothed in double garments, that is, the garments, the ornaments, the perfumes, the merits, and the virtues of Jesus and Mary, clothe the soul of their slave, who has despoiled himself and who perseveres in his despoilation. A footnote. This charming comment on the words of St. Bernard will console and encourage certain souls who grow weary and sad when they become conscious of their unworthiness and their insufficiency. As St. Louis de Montfort loves to say, and his saying is very true, Mary will be their supplement with God. To continue, moreover, to give ourselves thus to Our Lady is to practice charity towards our neighbor in the highest possible degree, because we give her all that we hold most dear and let her dispose of it at her will in favor of the living and the dead. By this devotion we place our graces, merits, and virtues in safety, for we make Mary the depository of them all, saying to her, See, my dear mother, here are the good works that I have been able to do through the grace of thy dear Son. I am not able to keep them on account of my own weakness and inconstancy, and also because of the many wicked enemies who attack me day and night. Alas, one may see every day the cedars of Lebanon fall into the mire, and the eagles which has raised themselves to the sun become birds of night, and so do a thousand of the just fall on my left hand and ten thousand on my right. But thou, my most powerful princess, sustain me lest I fall. Keep all my possessions for fear I may be robbed of them. All I have I entrust to thee. I know well who thou art, therefore I entrust myself entirely to thee. Thou art faithful to God and to men. Thou wilt not allow anything to perish that I entrust to thee. Thou art powerful, and nothing can hurt thee, nor rob thee of anything thou holdest in thy hands. A footnote. These words ought to be considered by all who are concerned about their perseverance in grace and their interior perfection. Many there are who hesitate even to begin, and many who draw back soon after starting because they apprehend a possible failure or lack of perseverance. When you follow Mary, you will not go astray. When you pray to her, you will not despair. When you think of her, you will not err. When she sustains you, you will not fall. When she protects you, you will not fear. When she leads you, you will not become tired. When she favors you, you will arrive safely. And again, she keeps her son from striking us. She keeps the devil from hurting us. She keeps our virtues from escaping us. She keeps our merits from being destroyed. She keeps our graces from being lost. 
These are the words of St. Bernard. They express in substance all I have said. Were there but this one motive to incite in me a desire for this devotion, namely, that it is a sure means of keeping me in the grace of God, and even of increasing that grace in me, my heart ought to burn with longing for it. This devotion truly frees the soul with the liberty of the children of God, since for love of Mary we reduce ourselves freely to slavery. She, out of gratitude, will dilate our heart, intensify our love, and cause us to walk with giant steps in the way of God's commandments. She delivers the soul from weariness, sadness, and scruples. It was this devotion which our Lord taught to Mother Agnes of Jesus. A footnote, she was a Dominican nun who died in the odor of sanctity in the year 1634. It was this devotion which our Lord taught to Mother Agnes of Jesus as a sure means of delivering her from the severe suffering and perplexities which troubled her. Make thyself, he said, my mother's slave. She did so, and in a moment her troubles ceased. At the conclusion of the music, please continue on side B.